Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 39, The Cusco Secchi System. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Before we begin today, just a quick reminder to follow the show on social media. A History of the Inca Facebook page and at Inca Podcast on Twitter are two ways to stay up to date on what's happening with the show and for any related pictures and maps. Also, be sure to check out the website for content associated with each episode. One more thing. Last week, after touting my knowledge of music, I, of course, made a mistake. Disturbed is the band that covered Sound of Silence, not Seether. It is a good cover, just not as good as the original, in my own opinion. A big thanks to listener Nathan for pointing out that error. Now then, how many of you have paid attention to the logo of this show? Bright and colorful, isn't it? That is actually a picture I took of a painting that is, or at least was, hanging up in the Cori Concha. The painting is modern, but what it symbolizes is well over 500 years old. The Cusco Secchi system. Enjoy. What is a Secchi system or line? Well, a Secchi line is a path traversed by a pilgrim or one who is faithful to a certain religion. Along this path, there are shrines where one can present offerings and pray. A Secchi system is simply a grouping of such lines that possesses amongst them a common denomination. As we'll learn today, the Andes were filled with Secchi systems, which should come to no surprise to us, given what we know of how spiritual the Andes were, and still are to this day. However, we are focusing on the Cusco Secchi system, because of this show's logo. Okay, not really. It's about the obvious relationship to the Inca. The Cusco Secchi system is so well known to scholars today, thanks to the works of several people who investigated them over the years, many of them from the colonial era. Cristobal de Molina, a Spanish cleric who we've talked about before, was well-versed in Quechua and in Andean culture. Cristobal de Albornoz was also a religious figure like Molina. Then we have Juan Pollo de Andegardo. Andegardo will come up much later in the podcast. However, we are talking about him now because of the extensive exploration he did on the Cusco Secchi system. Andegardo held numerous political positions, but was at one time corregidor, or district governor, and de facto judge of the Cusco area. He interviewed royals as well as the Kipokamayaks, or those who maintained the Kipus, a recording device that, in this case, may have held data on the offerings presented 
within the Seki system. Maps were created and a strategy was laid out on how to identify huacas within a CK system. At first, Andegardo found 360 huacas. However, later on, he would up it to 400. Though how many were actually in the Cusco CK system is not quite clear. Despite his hard work, much of Andegardo's original work has been lost. Fortunately for us, Bernabe Cobo, a Jesuit missionary, loved to copy other people's work. And scholars can identify what Andegardo wrote within Cobo's text. Now please note that these colonial era men, and any other who was interested in the Seki system, were not investigating them because they were scholars who were truly curious about the religious practices of the Inca. Well, okay, th they were curious, but only so that they could identify Seki systems and the huacas within them to destroy them. But we are not here to discuss that particular moment today. That is for another time. More recent analyses have sought to identify exact locations of the Seki lines and the huacas within the Cusco system. Dr. Tom Zudema believed that, much like the logo for this podcast, the Seki lines radiated straight out from the Coricancha, similar to rays coming out of the sun. In fact, during the Capac Cocha ceremony that took place within the Cusco Seque system, we have the following quote from Molina on people traveling Huaca to Huaca. Separated from one another without going the royal road directly, but without turning anywhere, traversing the gorges and mountains that they found before them, until each one reached the part and place that were waiting to receive the said sacrifices. Howard Rowe was the first to really question the idea that the Seki lines were straight, and after an investigation by Susan A. Niles, it was determined that the Wakas were not in straight lines at all. One of the best sources for the Cusco Seki system and the main source used for this episode comes to us from Brian S. Bauer, who, using Bernabe Cobo as a guide, works to identify the exact locations of all 328 wakas listed within Cobo's account. Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 39, The Cusco Seki system. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Before we begin today, just a quick reminder to follow the show on social media. A History of the Inca Facebook page and at Inca Podcast on Twitter are two ways to stay up to date on what's happening with the show and for any related pictures and maps. Also, be sure to check out the website for content associated 
with each episode. One more thing. Last week, after touting my knowledge of music, I of course made a mistake. Disturbed is the band that covered Sound of Silence, not Seether. It is a good cover, just not as good as the original, in my own opinion. A big thanks to listener Nathan for pointing out that error. Now then, how many of you have paid attention to the logo of this show? Bright and colorful, isn't it? That is actually a picture I took of a painting that is, or at least was, hanging up in the Cori Concha. The painting is modern, but what it symbolizes is well over 500 years old. The Cusco Secchi system. Enjoy. What is a Secchi system or line? Well, a Secchi line is a path traversed by a pilgrim or one who is faithful to a certain religion. Along this path, there are shrines where one can present offerings and pray. A Secchi system is simply a grouping of such lines that possesses amongst them a common denomination. As we'll learn today, the Andes were filled with Secchi systems, which should come to no surprise to us, given what we know of how spiritual the Andes were, and still are to this day. However, we are focusing on the Cusco Secchi system, because of this show's logo. Okay, not really. It's about the obvious relationship to the Inca. The Cusco Secchi system is so well known to scholars today, thanks to the works of several people who investigated them over the years, many of them from the colonial era. Cristobal de Molina, a Spanish cleric who we've talked about before, was well-versed in Quechua and in Andean culture. Cristobal de Albornoz was also a religious figure like Molina. Then we have Juan Pollo de Andegardo. Andegardo will come up much later in the podcast. However, we are talking about him now because of the extensive exploration he did on the Cusco Secchi system. Andegardo held numerous political positions, but was at one time corregidor, or district governor, and de facto judge of the Cusco area. He interviewed royals as well as the Kipokamayaks, or those who maintained the Kipus, a recording device that, in this case, may have held data on the offerings presented within the Seki system. Maps were created, and a strategy was laid out on how to identify huacas within a Seki system. At first, Andegardo found 360 huacas. However, later on, he would up it to 400, though how many were actually in the Cusco CK system is not quite clear. Despite his hard work, much of Andegardo's original work has been lost. Fortunately for us, 
Bernabe Cobo, a Jesuit missionary, loved to copy other people's work. And scholars can identify what Andegardo wrote within Cobo's text. Now please note that these colonial era men and any other who was interested in the Seki system were not investigating them because they were scholars who were truly curious about the religious practices of the Inca. Well, okay, th they were curious, but only so that they could identify Seki systems and the Huacas within them to destroy them. But we are not here to discuss that particular moment today. That is for another time. More recent analyses have sought to identify exact locations of the Seki lines and the Huacas within the Cusco system. Dr. Tom Zudema believed that, much like the logo for this podcast, the Seki lines radiated straight out from the Cori Concha, similar to rays coming out of the sun. In fact, during the Capac Cocha ceremony that took place within the Cusco Seque system, we have the following quote from Molina on people traveling Huaca to Huaca. Separated from one another without going the royal road directly, but without turning anywhere, traversing the gorges and mountains that they found before them, until each one reached the part and place that were waiting to receive the said sacrifices. Howard Rowe was the first to really question the idea that the Seki lines were straight. And after an investigation by Susan A. Niles, it was determined that the Wakas were not in straight lines at all. One of the best sources for the Cusco Seki system and the main source used for this episode comes to us from Brian S. Bauer, who, using Bernabe Cobo as a guide, works to identify the exact locations of all 328 huacas listed within Cobo's account. That's right, 328. We're not going to go through all of them in this podcast, but we will go through a few. But first, how is the Seki system organized? Well, many of the Seki lines, but not all, started from the most important shrine in the entire Inca Empire, the Cori Concha. From there, we can divide the Seki lines by the four Suyus or quarters of the empire Chinchasuyu, Antisuyu, and Koyasuyu each had nine. Seki lines. Meanwhile, Kondasuyu had a whopping 14. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly why there were more Seki lines in Kondasuyu than in the other quarters at this point. But we should note that the amount of wakas within a line varied. There was no set standard. With 328 wakas spread out over a large area, and by the way, there are maps and figures of this system at incapodcast.wordpress.com. How were all of these wakas cared for? Fortunately, thanks to Andegardo's interviews and Kobo's plagiarism, 
we have an idea of how the wakas were cared for and who gave offerings to them. First, we have the ten panakas, the royal ayus established by each Sapa Inca, who each oversaw the maintenance and offerings of one Seki line. Wanakapak's panaka, and remember, he has just been named the next Sapa Inca in our narrative, was not in charge of a Seki line, likely due to the conflict that arose after his death. More on that in another episode. However, if you do the math, there are still 31 Seke lines to be taken care of. Well, we do know, again, thanks to the colonial era sources, that there were several non-royal Ayus that took care of several other Seki lines. Even better, we have a list of which Ayus oversaw which lines. These Ayus may have been from the Inca of Privilege class. Still, not all the Seki lines are accounted for as being taken care of. This has led to even more questions. Did Ayus attend to more than one Seki line? Were there other classes that maintained other lines? Perhaps the Kamayoks, Mitmei, or even the Yanakona were placed in charge of other Seki lines. But we just don't know at this time. I thought I'd give you all an idea of the wakas that were within the Cusco Seki system. I picked four lines so we could travel to each waka, briefly that is. Some lines contained quite a few wakas. Choosing which line to cover was quite simple. I had to pick some that were believed to have been cared for by panakas. And where else could we possibly start from except the fifth Seki line in Chinchasuyu? It is believed that this Seki line was cared for by Pachacuti's Panaka, Inaka. It contained ten huacas and began at the Kuzi Kancha, opposite of the Kori Kancha, where Tupac Inca Yupanqui was born. The next huaca was Pucamarca, where Chukuya was kept, the idol closely associated with Pachacuti. The third huaca was a group of Puruaca stones that was between Pucamarca and the Huacapata. I believe I've mentioned these stones before, but these are stones that are believed to have transformed into soldiers during Pachacuti's defense of Cusco against the Chanca. They didn't feature prominently in our tale, but there are other versions where the Puruaca were the reinforcements aiding the Inca in their defense. The Wakapata was the fourth Waka, while the Korakora, the building that sat on the north end of the Wakapata, was the fifth Waka in the Sike line. Those first five Wakas were relatively close together. Now we have to travel to the throne of the Inca, near Saxawaman, to visit the sixth Waka the smoothly carved stone steps are the masterpiece which I mentioned back in episode 15. A hill called Charka Wanakari was the seventh waka, 
This hill had its part to play in the Kapakraimi and other festivals. The Eithwaka, Huamen Wachanka, is a large rock outcrop that is considered the intersection of three different communities and was likely an important boundary marker in the past for local groups. Sinka, the Nithwaka, is a hill, and Pacarina for the Ayamarca, who likely also venerated this place. Though its true location is not clear, it is believed that the rock outcrop Mama Wanchanka was originally Sinka. And finally, we have Korkorpukio, a spring which may have been the tenth and final waka within the Seki line. Moving on to Antisuyu, in the first Seki line within this quarter, we have a series of wakas that were cared for by the Suska Panaka, or descendants of Viracocha Inca. The first two wakas were next to the Coricancha, an enclosure called Chiquinpampa and a round stone called Taraka. The third waka was another stone called Chiripacha, located at the beginning of the Koyasuyu Road. Wakas 4 through 6 are said to have been near Patayakta and were combinations of caves and ravines. The seventh waka, though, was Amaro Markawaki, a house for Amaro Tupa Inca, Yemki Yupanki, in other sources, and for a part of our narrative. In reality, the waka is a sculpted rock outcrop with several adjacent buildings. The eighth waka was a boiling spring called Tipik, or Tipuk, near the community of Waya Kocha. Tambo Mache was the ninth waka and, as it turns out, was a house of Pachacuti on a hill near the road. Another spring called Kinopukio is the tenth waka in the Seke line. It is uncertain, but a dual channel fountain near Puka Pukara is a candidate for the title of Kinopukio. Finally, we have Kiskorko, the eleventh waka, described as a round but not very large stone. It has been theorized that a boulder near the dual channel fountain may be Kuskorko. The boulder is still used as a landmark in the region today. Apu Maita, the Panaka of the fifth Sapa Inca, Kapak Yupanki, took care of the wakas within the fourth Seki line of Koyasuyu. Pampacha was the special spring in which the Incas would bathe in. Its official location is unclear. Bauer claims that some descriptions place it in Antisuyu, but that is the first waka within this line. The second waka was a tomb within a field in which the Inca believed that the dead would assemble from time to time. A hill called Tukare, south of the current airport, was near this waka. At the base of Tukare, 
are two large springs. Either of them likely represent Kispikia, the third waka. The five stones that make up the fourth waka, named Siupan, have yet to be identified. Ayavia was the name of wakas five and six. Five is a tomb where the lords of the Ayavia Ayu were buried upon a hill, while the sixth were several stones on a separate hill. Both hills have been identified as Huchuyu Ayavia and Hatun Ayavia. Viracocha Inca's wife was associated with this ethnic group, and what appear to be the remains of cholpas or burial towers are located on these hills. Rauru Rauru Kiran was listed as a large hill and was venerated due to its size. Wankakaya was a ravine and acted as a gateway to Rauru Rauru Kiran. These two were Wakas 7 and 8. One of the largest mountains of the area, Kori Huayrachina, is located behind the Ayavia Hills and has a circular platform at its summit with smashed Inca pottery as well as plenty of pits from looters. It is likely that this mountain was Rau Rau Kiran. Two sloped platform two stepped platforms or terraces flank a major trail nearby, and was likely the eight Huaca of Wankarkaya. The ninth Huaca was yet another hill called Sinaiba. The candidate for this Huaca is called Sewa nowadays, and the final Huaca of the Seki line was called Sumaruko. Supposedly, it is located near Sinaiba, but has yet to be identified. As I said, Kondosuyu contained 14 Seki lines, but we will take a look at the fifth line, overseen by the Chima Panaka, descendants of the first Sapa Inca Manco Capac. Only containing five wakas, the line started at a small plaza called Cari Tampu Cancha, now inside the monastery of Santo Domingo. The next two wakas, Tikuya and Kayakta, were both an assembly of stone warriors and a group of stones. However, both have yet to be properly identified. The fourth, a spring called Churupukio, has also eluded identification. The fifth and final shrine, Kumpu Wanakari, is a group of stones on top of a hill, in line with another hill called Choko. A hill called Sunu has been tapped as the likely place for this waka. At the top, Inca pottery has been found, and it offers a view right into central Cusco. I hope the descriptions of those four lines gives you an idea of what some of the huacas were. Stones, springs, hills, outcrops, and others. Many very much a part of the landscape. And several served as more than just huacas. Several were boundary markers for local groups. 
They were likely that way for years prior to the Inca coming along and incorporating them into the Sique system. Now let's talk about one of the rituals that took place involving the Cusco Sique system, Capac Cocha. Depending upon the source, this event took place very rarely, or if you read Cieza de Leon, it was actually an annual event. According to Molina, though, the provinces of Koyasuyu, Chinchasuyu, Antasuyu, and Kondasuyu would bring to this city from each town and lineage of people one or two small boys or girls of 10 years old. They would also bring clothes and livestock as well as sheep made of gold, silver, and muyu. The ceremony would begin at the Wakapata, where the Wakas of Viracocha, Inti, and others would be present. When the time came, the priests were instructed... Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 39, The Cusco Seki System. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Before we begin today, just a quick reminder to follow the show on social media. A History of the Inca Facebook page and at Inca Podcast on Twitter are two ways to stay up to date on what's happening with the show and for any related pictures and maps. Also, be sure to check out the website for content associated with each episode. One more thing. Last week, after touting my knowledge of music, I of course made a mistake. Disturbed is the band that covered Sound of Silence, not Seether. It is a good cover, just not as good as the original, in my own opinion. A big thanks to listener Nathan for pointing out that error. Now then, how many of you have paid attention to the logo of this show? Bright and colorful, isn't it? That is actually a picture I took of a painting that is, or at least was, hanging up in the Cori Concha. The painting is modern, but what it symbolizes is well over 500 years old. The Cusco Secchi system. Enjoy. What is a Secchi system or line? Well, a Secchi line is a path traversed by a pilgrim or one who is faithful to a certain religion. Along this path, there are shrines where one can present offerings and pray. A Secchi system is simply a grouping of such lines that possesses amongst them a common denomination. As we'll learn today, the Andes were filled with Secchi systems, which should come to no surprise to us, given what we know of how spiritual the Andes were, and still are to this day. However, we are focusing on the Cusco Secchi system, because of this show's logo. Okay, not really. It's about the obvious relationship to the Inca. 
The Cusco Secchi system is so well known to scholars today thanks to the works of several people who investigated them over the years, many of them from the colonial era. Cristobal de Molina, a Spanish cleric who we've talked about before, was well versed in Quechua and in Andean culture. Cristobal de Albornoz was also a religious figure like Molina. Then we have Juan Pollo de Andegardo. Andegardo will come up much later in the podcast. However, we are talking about him now because of the extensive exploration he did on the Cusco Secchi system. Andegardo held numerous political positions, but was at one time corregidor, or district governor, and de facto judge of the Cusco area. He interviewed royals as well as the Kipokamayaks, or those who maintained the Kipus, a recording device that, in this case, may have held data on the offerings presented within the Seki system. Maps were created, and a strategy was laid out on how to identify huacas within a CK system. At first, Andegardo found 360 huacas. However, later on, he would up it to 400, though how many were actually in the Cusco CK system is not quite clear. Despite his hard work, much of Andegardo's original work has been lost. Fortunately for us, Bernabe Cobo, a Jesuit missionary, loved to copy other people's work. And scholars can identify what Andegardo wrote within Cobo's text. Now please note that these colonial era men, and any other who was interested in the Seki system, we're not investigating them because they were scholars who were truly curious about the religious practices of the Inca. Well, okay, th they were curious, but only so that they could identify Seki systems and the Huacas within them to destroy them. But we are not here to discuss that particular moment today. That is for another time. More recent analyses have sought to identify exact locations of the Seki lines and the Huacas within the Cusco system. Dr. Tom Zudema believed that, much like the logo for this podcast, the Seki lines radiated straight out from the Cori Concha, similar to rays coming out of the sun. In fact, during the Capac Cocha ceremony that took place within the Cusco Seki system, we have the following quote from Molina on people traveling Huaca to Huaca. Separated from one another without going the royal road directly, but without turning anywhere, traversing the gorges and mountains that they found before them, until each one reached the part and place that were waiting to receive the said sacrifices. Howard Rowe was the first to really question the idea that the Seki lines were straight. And after an investigation by Susan A. Niles, 
it was determined that the wakas were not in straight lines at all. One of the best sources for the Cusco Secchi system, and the main source used for this episode, comes to us from Brian S. Bauer, who, using Bernabe Cobo as a guide, works to identify the exact locations of all 328 wakas listed within Kobo's account. That's right, 328. We're not going to go through all of them in this podcast, but we will go through a few. But first, how is the Seki system organized? Well, many of the Seki lines, but not all, started from the most important shrine in the entire Inca Empire, the Cori Concha. From there, we can divide the Seki lines by the four Suyus, or quarters, of the empire. Chinchasuyu, Antisuyu, and Koyasuyu each had nine Seki lines. Meanwhile, Kondasuyu had a whopping 14. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly why there were more Seki lines in Kondasuyu than in the other quarters at this point but we should note that the amount of wakas within a line varied. There was no set standard. With 328 wakas spread out over a large area, and by the way, there are maps and figures of this system at incapodcast.wordpress.com, how were all of these wakas cared for? Fortunately, thanks to Ande Gardo's interviews and Kobo's plagiarism, we have an idea of how the wakas were cared for and who gave offerings to them. First, we have the ten panakas, the royal AUs established by each Sapa Inca, who each oversaw the maintenance and offerings of one Seki line. Wanakapak's panaka and remember, he has just been named the next Sapa Inca in our narrative, was not in charge of a Seki line, likely due to the conflict that arose after his death. More on that in another episode. However, if you do the math, there are still 31 Seki lines to be taken care of. Well, we do know, again, thanks to the colonial era sources, that there were several non-royal AUs that took care of several other Seki lines. Even better, we have a list of which AUs oversaw which lines. These AUs may have been from the Inca of Privilege class. Still, not all the Seki lines are accounted for as being taken care of. This has led to even more questions. Did AUs attend to more than one Seki line? Were there other classes that maintained other lines? Perhaps the Kamayoks, Meetmei, or even the Yanakona were placed in charge of other Seki lines. But we just don't know at this time. I thought I'd give you all an idea of the wakas that were within the Cusco Seki system. I picked four lines so we could travel to each waka, briefly that is. Some lines contained quite a few wakas. Choosing which line to cover was quite simple. 
I had to pick some that were believed to have been cared for by Panakas. And where else could we possibly start from except the fifth Seki line in Chinchasuyu? It is believed that this Seki line was cared for by Pachikuti's Panaka, Inaka. It contained ten huakas and began at the Kuzikancha, opposite of the Korikancha, where Tupac Inca Yupanki was born. The next huaka was Pukamarka, where Chukuya was kept, the idol closely associated with Pachacuti. The third huaka was a group of Puruaka stones that was between Pukamarka and the Huacapata. I believe I've mentioned these stones before, but these are stones that are believed to have transformed into soldiers during Pachacuti's defense of Cusco against the Chanca. They didn't feature prominently in our tale, but there are other versions where the Puruaka were the reinforcements aiding the Inca in their defense. The Wakapata was the fourth Waka, while the Korakora, the building that sat on the north end of the Wakapata, was the fifth Waka in the Sike line. Those first five Wakas were relatively close together. Now we have to travel to the throne of the Inca, near Saxawaman, to visit the sixth Waka. The smoothly carved stone steps are the masterpiece which I mentioned back in episode 15. A hill called Charka Wanakari was the seventh huaca. This hill had its part to play in the Kapakraimi and other festivals. The eighth huaca, Wamen Wachanka, is a large rock outcrop that is considered the intersection of three different communities and was likely an important boundary marker in the past for local groups. Sinka, the ninth waka, is a hill, and Pacarina for the Ayamarca, who likely also venerated this place. Though its true location is not clear, it is believed that the rock outcrop Mama Wanchanka was originally Sinka. And finally, we have Korkorpukio, a spring which may have been the tenth and final waka within the Seki line. Moving on to Antisuyu, in the first Seki line within this quarter, we have a series of wakas that were cared for by the Suska Panaka, or descendants of Viracocha Inca. The first two huacas were next to the Coricancha, an enclosure called Chiquinpampa and a round stone called Taraka. The third huaca was another stone called Chiripacha, located at the beginning of the Koyasuyu Road. Huacas 4 through 6 are said to have been near Patayakta and were combinations of caves and ravines. The seventh waka, though, was Amaro Markawaki, a house for Amaro Tupa Inca, Yemki Yupanki, in other sources, and for a part of our narrative. In reality, the waka is a sculpted rock outcrop with several adjacent buildings, 
The eighth waka was a boiling spring called Tipik, or Tipuk, near the community of Waya Kocha. Tambo Mache was the ninth waka and, as it turns out, was a house of Pachacuti on a hill near the road. Another spring called Kinopukio is the tenth waka in the Seke line. It is uncertain, but a dual channel fountain near Puka Pukara is a candidate for the title of Kinopukio. Finally, we have Kiskorko, the 11th waka, described as a round but not very large stone. It has been theorized that a boulder near the dual channeled fountain may be Kuskorko. The boulder is still used as a landmark in the region today. Apu Maita, the Panaka of the 5th Sapa Inca, Kapak Yupanki, took care of the wakas within the 4th Seki line of Koyasuyu. Pampacha was the special spring in which the Incas would bathe in. Its official location is unclear. Bauer claims that some descriptions place it in Antasuyu, but that is the first waka within this line. The second waka was a tomb within a field in which the Inca believed that the dead would assemble from time to time. A hill called Tukare, south of the current airport, was near this waka. At the base of Tukare are two large springs. Either of them likely represent Kispikia, the third waka. The five stones that make up the fourth waka, named Siupan, have yet to be identified. Ayavia was the name of Waka's five and six. Five is a tomb where the lords of the Ayavia Ayu were buried upon a hill, while the sixth were several stones on a separate hill. Both hills have been identified as Huchuyu Ayavia and Hatun Ayavia. Viracocha Inca's wife was associated with this ethnic group, and what appear to be the remains of cholpas, or burial towers, are located on these hills. Rauru Rauru Kiran was listed as a large hill and was venerated due to its size. Wankakaya was a ravine and acted as a gateway to Rauru Rauru Kiran. These two were Waka 7 and 8. One of the largest mountains of the area, Kori Huayrachina, is located behind the Ayavia Hills and has a circular platform at its summit with smashed Inca pottery as well as plenty of pits from looters. It is likely that this mountain was Rauru Kiran. Two sloped platform two-stepped platforms or terraces flank a major trail nearby, and was likely the eight huaca of Wankarkaya. The ninth huaca was yet another hill, called Sinaiba. The candidate for this huaca is called Sewa nowadays, and the final huaca of the Seki line 
was called Sumaruko. Supposedly, it is located near Seneba, but has yet to be identified. As I said, Kondosuyu contained 14 seki lines, but we will take a look at the fifth line, overseen by the Chima Panaka, descendants of the first Sapa Inca Manco Capac. Only containing five huacas, the line started at a small plaza called Cari Tampu Cancha, now inside the monastery of Santo Domingo. The next two huacas, Tikuya and Kayakta, were both an assembly of stone warriors and a group of stones. However, both have yet to be properly identified. The fourth, a spring called Churupukio, has also eluded identification. The fifth and final shrine, Kumpu Wanakari, is a group of stones on top of a hill, in line with another hill called Choko. A hill called Sunu has been tapped as the likely place for this waka. At the top, Inca pottery has been found, and it offers a view right into central Cusco. I hope the descriptions of those four lines gives you an idea of what some of the huacas were. Stones, springs, hills, outcrops, and others. Many very much a part of the landscape. And several served as more than just huacas. Several were boundary markers for local groups. They were likely that way for years prior to the Inca coming along and incorporating them into the Sique system. Now let's talk about one of the rituals that took place involving the Cusco Sique system, Capac Cocha. Depending upon the source, this event took place very rarely, or if you read Cieza de Leon, it was actually an annual event. According to Molina, though, the provinces of Koyasuyu, Chinchasuyu, Antasuyu, and Kondasuyu would bring to this city from each town and lineage of people one or two small boys or girls of 10 years old. They would also bring clothes and livestock as well as sheep made of gold, silver, and muyu. The ceremony would begin at the Wakapata, where the Wakas of Viracocha, Inti, and others would be present. When the time came, the priests were instructed to take their lot of offerings and travel to the proper wakas to give sacrifices, traveling in a straight line. The lamas, clothes, and baskets of coca were burned. The statues of gold, silver, and muyu were buried. The children suffocated and then buried along with any statues. We've seen child sacrifice occur a few times before on the show, but it is well documented not only in colonial accounts, but archaeological ones as well, often on mountains or hilltops. Here we have a description of what was offered to the final huaca in the 8th Seki line of Antisuyu. The 11th and last huaca of the Seki was named 
Pilkorku. It was another stone to which they did great reverence, which was on a big hill near Larapa. When there was a new Inca, in addition to the usual things they sacrificed to it, a girl, twelve years old or less. It is important to note that not all huacas would receive a child as a sacrifice, and nor would hearts be cut out while the child was either alive or dead, something that several colonial-era writers would claim, but no archaeological evidence supports. It may also be that how often a child was sacrificed to a particular huaca varied depending upon the kapak kocha. Of course, we should not be surprised to hear that there were other seki systems in the Andes. However, the bishop of Charcas was. To prove him wrong, Andegardo took him to a seki system in Pocona, Bolivia, some 50 miles east of Cochabamba, to show him that local seki system. There are also the shrines of Anta. The seki system was situated northwest of Cusco, and based around the town of Anta. This system had only 22 huacas according to Albornoz, second only to the Cusco system according to his account. However, after some investigation, Brian Bauer has some doubts that the shrines were actually organized in such a system. He does not rule it out completely though. These huacas were worshipped largely by the local population, and some of the wakas within the possible Seki system actually overlap with that of the Cusco Seki system. Huanco Pampa, a large city in the north-central Andes, was an administration center for the Inca. The Capacnan crossed diagonally through the very center of the city. The Royal Road and several other minor roads radiated from the city center. And there are some who believe that these roads radiating out from a central space share the characteristics of a Seki system. We have to go back, though, all the way back to episode 4 to discuss the Nazca lines once more. Most lines are not animal glyphs on the Pampa, but lines. Lines of various sizes radiating from a central location. 60 individual line centers have been identified, totaling to 750 lines. And at many of these lines are stone cairns, stacked piles of stones that are common in the Andes. At what time these cairns were constructed is not known. Now let's jump forward all the way to the present to discuss the Sajama region in Bolivia. Crossing the Altiplano are a series of lines. To quote Bauer, these lines radiate from village chapels to small shrines or hills or in the center of isolated plains. Bauer visited these lines in the early 1990s and found many of the lines are still visible. Some lines are longer than others. Some lines extend to small chapels or cairns. While the lines are abandoned today, accounts from locals suggest that villagers walked these lines as late as the 1950s. 
Nowadays, such Siki systems are known to have existed in both Bolivia and Chile. Johan Renhard has visited several villages that even today have Seki lines that are observed and walked upon by locals. These systems have not been completely analyzed and remain to be fully understood, but they are a glimpse into the past, a past that saw the landscape spiritually alive throughout the Andes. The Cusco Seki system is much different today than it was at the time of the Inca. Nobody walks the lines. Nobody but researchers such as Brian Bauer who seek to understand the system itself. And that is not easy to do. Many of the wakas or proposed sites have been swallowed by the urban growth of Cusco. I imagine that several of the wakas that were Puraka or stone warriors, were incorporated in some fashion into the foundation and architecture of several colonial-era buildings in Cusco. But that is all excluding what the Spanish did, worked tirelessly to seek and destroy huacas themselves. Indeed, Molina, Albornoz, and Andegardo all sought to understand the Seki system so they could identify huacas and destroy them. A systematic eradication of indigenous heritage, all in the hopes of converting the native population. However, not all were destroyed. Per Poyopacha was the huaca within the third Seki line in Koyasuyu. It was a spring and it continued to be an important religious site even in colonial times as a painting of the Virgin appeared on a wall nearby in the 17th century. Very similar to how the Inca would incorporate the local wakas and gods into their religion, Christianity adopted certain sites as areas of worship. As you might recall, quite a few of the wakas were natural features on the landscape and were thus difficult to destroy. Such an example exists in the Angostura Ravine, the eighth waka of the first Seki of Koyasuyu. It is still venerated in August, when the winds in the Cusco Valley are the strongest. The Kumpi Hill in Kundasuyu as well as the sacred summit of Wanakari, were both part of the large Cusco CK system and are still considered sacred places to this day. The Andes were, and still are, a very spiritual place. Perhaps it has to do with the mountains themselves being 50 million years old. Maybe it is the name of the hills, peaks, rocks, or streams that indigenous people affectionately call on. Maybe it is because their ancestors are still interred in some of these spaces, forever tied to them. Many Awakas have disappeared over time. Some have been forgotten, some destroyed. Others have been adapted into modern belief systems. Still others endure to this day. 
The Cusco Secchi system was one of likely many religious complexes in the Andes. There is a lot we don't know, a lot we could learn, and a lot more to discover. Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 39, The Cusco Secchi System. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Before we begin today, just a quick reminder to follow the show on social media. A History of the Inca Facebook page and at Inca Podcast on Twitter are two ways to stay up to date on what's happening with the show and for any related pictures and maps. Also, be sure to check out the website for content associated with each episode. One more thing. Last week, after touting my knowledge of music, I of course made a mistake. Disturbed is the band that covered Sound of Silence, not Seether. It is a good cover, just not as good as the original, in my own opinion. A big thanks to listener Nathan for pointing out that error. Now then, how many of you have paid attention to the logo of this show? Bright and colorful, isn't it? That is actually a picture I took of a painting that is, or at least was, hanging up in the Cori Concha. The painting is modern, but what it symbolizes is well over 500 years old. The Cusco Secchi system. Enjoy. What is a Secchi system or line? Well, a Secchi line is a path traversed by a pilgrim or one who is faithful to a certain religion. Along this path, there are shrines where one can present offerings and pray. A Secchi system is simply a grouping of such lines that possesses amongst them a common denomination. As we'll learn today, the Andes were filled with Secchi systems, which should come to no surprise to us, given what we know of how spiritual the Andes were, and still are to this day. However, we are focusing on the Cusco Secchi system, because of this show's logo. Okay, not really. It's about the obvious relationship to the Inca. The Cusco Secchi system is so well known to scholars today, thanks to the works of several people who investigated them over the years, many of them from the colonial era. Cristobal de Molina, a Spanish cleric who we've talked about before, was well-versed in Quechua and in Andean culture. Cristobal de Albornoz was also a religious figure like Molina. Then we have Juan Pollo de Andegardo. Andegardo will come up much later in the podcast. However, we are talking about him now 
because of the extensive exploration he did on the Cusco Secchi system. Ondegardo held numerous political positions, but was at one time corregidor, or district governor, and de facto judge of the Cusco area. He interviewed royals as well as the Kipokamayaks, or those who maintained the Kipus, a recording device that, in this case, may have held data on the offerings presented within the Seki system. Maps were created, and a strategy was laid out on how to identify huacas within a Seki system. At first, Andegardo found 360 huacas. However, later on, he would up it to 400, though how many were actually in the Cusco CK system is not quite clear. Despite his hard work, much of Andegardo's original work has been lost. Fortunately for us, Bernabe Cobo, a Jesuit missionary, loved to copy other people's work and scholars can identify what Andegardo wrote within Kobo's text. Now please note that these colonial era men, and any other who was interested in the Seki system, were not investigating them because they were scholars who were truly curious about the religious practices of the Inca. Well, okay, th they were curious, but only so that they could identify Seki systems and the huacas within them to destroy them. But we are not here to discuss that particular moment today. That is for another time. More recent analyses have sought to identify exact locations of the Seki lines and the huacas within the Cusco system. Dr. Tom Zudema believed that, much like the logo for this podcast, the Seki lines radiated straight out from the Coricancha, similar to rays coming out of the sun. In fact, during the Capacocha ceremony that took place within the Cusco Seki system, we have the following quote from Molina on people traveling Huaca to Huaca. Separated from one another without going the royal road directly, but without turning anywhere, traversing the gorges and mountains that they found before them, until each one reached the part and place that were waiting to receive the said sacrifices. Howard Rowe was the first to really question the idea that the Seki lines were straight, and after an investigation by Susan A. Niles, it was determined that the Wakas were not in straight lines at all. One of the best sources for the Cusco Secchi system, and the main source used for this episode, comes to us from Brian S. Bauer, who, using Bernabe Cobo as a guide, works to identify the exact locations of all 328 Wakas listed within Cobo's account. That's right, 328. We're not going to go through all of them in this podcast, but we will go through a few. 
But first, how is the Seki system organized? Well, many of the Seki lines, but not all, started from the most important shrine in the entire Inca Empire, the Cori Concha. From there, we can divide the Seki lines by the four Suyus or quarters of the empire. Chinchasuyu, Antisuyu, and Koyasuyu each had nine Seki lines. Meanwhile, Kondasuyu had a whopping 14. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly why there were more Seki lines in Kondasuyu than in the other quarters at this point. But we should note that the amount of wakas within a line varied. There was no set standard. With 328 wakas spread out over a large area, and by the way, there are maps and figures of this system at incapodcast.wordpress.com. How were all of these wakas cared for? Fortunately, thanks to Ande Gardo's interviews and Kobo's plagiarism, we have an idea of how the wakas were cared for and who gave offerings to them. First, we have the ten panakas, the royal AUs established by each Sapa Inca who each oversaw the maintenance and offerings of one Seki line. Wanakapak's Panaka, and remember, he has just been named the next Sapa Inca in our narrative, was not in charge of a Seki line, likely due to the conflict that arose after his death. More on that in another episode. However, if you do the math, there are still 31 Seki lines to be taken care of. Well, we do know, again, thanks to the colonial era sources, that there were several non-royal AUs that took care of several other Seki lines. Even better, we have a list of which AUs oversaw which lines. These AUs may have been from the Inca of Privilege class. Still, not all the Seki lines are accounted for as being taken care of. This has led to even more questions. Did AUs attend to more than one Seki line? Were there other classes that maintained other lines? Perhaps the Kamayoks, Mitmei, or even the Yanakona were placed in charge of other Seki lines. But we just don't know at this time. I thought I'd give you all an idea of the wakas that were within the Cusco Seki system. I picked four lines so we could travel to each waka briefly, that is. Some lines contained quite a few wakas. Choosing which line to cover was quite simple. I had to pick some that were believed to have been cared for by panakas. And where else could we possibly start from except the fifth Seki line in Chinchasuyu? It is believed that this Seki line was cared for by Pachacuti's Panaka, Inaka. It contained ten huacas and began at the Kuzi Cancha, opposite of the Kori Cancha, where Tupac Inca Yupanqui was born. The next huaca was Pucamarca, where Chukuya was kept, the idol closely associated with Pachacuti. 
The third waka was a group of Puruaka stones that was between Pukamarka and the Huacapata. I believe I've mentioned these stones before, but these are stones that are believed to have transformed into soldiers during Pachacuti's defense of Cusco against the Chanca. They didn't feature prominently in our tale, but there are other versions where the Puruaka were the reinforcements aiding the Inca in their defense. The Wakapata was the fourth Waka, while the Korakora, the building that sat on the north end of the Wakapata, was the fifth Waka in the Sike line. Those first five Wakas were relatively close together. Now we have to travel to the throne of the Inca, near Saxawaman, to visit the sixth Waka. The smoothly carved stone steps are the masterpiece which I mentioned back in episode 15. A hill called Charka Wanakari was the seventh waka. This hill had its part to play in the Kapakraimi and other festivals. The eighth waka, Wamen Wachanka, is a large rock outcrop that is considered the intersection of three different communities and was likely an important boundary marker in the past for local groups. Sinka, the ninth waka, is a hill, and Pacarina, for the Ayamarca, who likely also venerated this place. Though its true location is not clear, it is believed that the rock outcrop Mama Wanchanka was originally Sinka. And finally, we have Corcorpukio, a spring which may have been the tenth and final waka within the Seki line. Moving on to Antisuyu, in the first Seki line within this quarter, we have a series of wakas that were cared for by the Suska Panaka, or descendants of Viracocha Inca. The first two wakas were next to the Coricancha, enclosure called Chiquinpampa and a round stone called Taraka. The third waka was another stone called Chiripacha, located at the beginning of the Koyasuyu Road. Wakas 4 through 6 are said to have been near Patayakta and were combinations of caves and ravines. The seventh waka, though, was Amaro Markawaki a house for Amaro Tupa Inca, Yemki Yupanki in other sources, and for a part of our narrative. In reality, the huaca is a sculpted rock outcrop with several adjacent buildings. The eighth huaca was a boiling spring called Tipik, or Tipuk, near the community of Huayacocha. Tambo Mache was the ninth huaca and, as it turns out, was a house of Pachacuti on a hill near the road. Another spring, called Kinopukio, is the tenth huaca in the Seke line. It is uncertain, but a dual channel fountain near Pukapukara is a candidate for the title of Kinopukio. 
Finally, we have Kiskorko, the 11th Waka, described as a round but not very large stone. It has been theorized that a boulder near the dual-channeled fountain may be Kuskorko. The boulder is still used as a landmark in the region today. Apu Maita, the Panaka of the 5th Sapa Inca, Kapak Yupanki, took care of the Wakas within the 4th Seki line of Koyasuyu. Pampacha was the special spring in which the Incas would bathe in. Its official location is unclear. Barber claims that some descriptions place it in Antasuyu. But that is the first waka within this line. The second waka was a tomb within a field in which the Inca believed that the dead would assemble from time to time. A hill called Tukare, south of the current airport, was near this waka. At the base of Tukare are two large springs. Either of them likely represent Kispikia, the third waka. The five stones that make up the fourth waka, named Siupan, have yet to be identified. Ayavia was the name of wakas five and six. Five is a tomb where the lords of the Ayavia Ayu were buried upon a hill, while the sixth were several stones on a separate hill. Both hills have been identified as Huchuyu Ayavia and Hatun Ayavia. Viracocha Inca's wife was associated with this ethnic group, and what appear to be the remains of cholpas or burial towers are located on these hills. Rauru Rauru Kiran was listed as a large hill and was venerated due to its size. Wankakaya was a ravine and acted as a gateway to Rauru Rauru Kiran. These two were Wakas 7 and 8. One of the largest mountains of the area, Kori Huayrachina, is located behind the Ayavia Hills and has a circular platform at its summit with smashed Inca pottery as well as plenty of pits from looters. It is likely that this mountain was Rau Rau Kiran. Two sloped platform two stepped platforms or terraces flank a major trail nearby, and was likely the eight Huaca of Wankarkaya. The ninth Huaca was yet another hill called Sinaiba. The candidate for this waka is called Sewa nowadays, and the final waka of this Seki line was called Sumaruko. Supposedly, it is located near Sineba, but has yet to be identified. As I said, Kondosuyu contained 14 Seki lines, but we will take a look at the fifth line overseen by the Chima Panaka, descendants of the first Sapa Inca, Manco Capac. Only containing five wakas, the line started at a small plaza called Cari Tampu Cancha, now inside the monastery of Santo Domingo. 
The next two wakas, Tikuya and Kayakta, were both an assembly of stone warriors and a group of stones. However, both have yet to be properly identified. The fourth, a spring called Churupukio, has also eluded identification. The fifth and final shrine, Kumpu Wanakari, is a group of stones on top of a hill, in line with another hill called Choko. A hill called Sunu has been tapped as the likely place for this waka. At the top, Inca pottery has been found, and it offers a view right into central Cusco. I hope the descriptions of those four lines gives you an idea of what some of the huacas were. Stones, springs, hills, outcrops, and others. Many very much a part of the landscape. And several served as more than just huacas. Several were boundary markers for local groups. They were likely that way for years prior to the Inca coming along and incorporating them into the Sique system. Now let's talk about one of the rituals that took place involving the Cusco Sique system, Capac Cocha. Depending upon the source, this event took place very rarely, or if you read Cieza de Leon, it was actually an annual event. According to Molina, though, the provinces of Koyasuyu, Chinchasuyu, Antasuyu, and Kondasuyu would bring to this city from each town and lineage of people one or two small boys or girls of 10 years old. They would also bring clothes and livestock as well as sheep made of gold, silver, and muyu. The ceremony would begin at the Wakapata, where the Wakas of Viracocha, Inti, and others would be present. When the time came, the priests were instructed to take their lot of offerings and travel to the proper Wakas to give sacrifices, traveling in a straight line. The lamas, clothes, and baskets of coca were burned. The statues of gold, silver, and muyu were buried. The children suffocated and then buried along with any statues. We've seen child sacrifice occur a few times before on the show, but it is well documented not only in colonial accounts, but archaeological ones as well, often on mountains or hilltops. Here we have a description of what was offered to the final huaca in the 8th Seki line of Antisuyu. The 11th and last huaca of the Seki was named Pilkorku, it was another stone to which they did great reverence, which was on a big hill near Larapa. When there was a new Inca, in addition to the usual things, they sacrificed to it a girl, 12 years old or less. It is important to note that not all huacas would receive a child as a sacrifice, and nor would hearts be cut out while the child was either alive or dead something that several colonial-era writers would claim, but no archaeological evidence supports. 
It may also be that how often a child was sacrificed to a particular huaca varied depending upon the kapak kocha. Of course, we should not be surprised to hear that there were other seki systems in the Andes. However, the bishop of Charcas was. To prove him wrong, Andegardo took him to a seki system in Pocona, Bolivia, some 50 miles east of Cochabamba, to show him that local seki system. There are also the shrines of Anta. This seki system was situated northwest of Cusco, and based around the town of Anta. This system had only 22 huacas according to Albornoz, second only to the Cusco system according to his account. However, after some investigation, Brian Bauer has some doubts that the shrines were actually organized in such a system. He does not rule it out completely though. These huacas were worshipped largely by the local population, and some of the wakas within the possible Seki system actually overlap with that of the Cusco Seki system. Huanco Pampa, a large city in the north central Andes, was an administration center for the Inca. The Capacnan crossed diagonally through the very center of the city. The royal road and several other minor roads radiated from the city center. And there are some who believe that these roads radiating out from a central space share the characteristics of a Seki system. We have to go back, though, all the way back to episode 4 to discuss the Nazca lines once more. Most lines are not animal glyphs on the Pampa, but lines. Lines of various sizes radiating from a central location. 60 individual line centers have been identified, totaling to 750 lines. And at many of these lines are stone cairns, stacked piles of stones that are common in the Andes. At what time these cairns were constructed is not known. Now let's jump forward all the way to the present to discuss the Sajama region in Bolivia. Crossing the Altiplano are a series of lines. To quote Bauer, these lines radiate from village chapels to small shrines or hills or in the center of isolated plains. Bauer visited these lines in the early 1990s and found many of the lines are still visible. Some lines are longer than others. Some lines extend to small chapels or cairns. While the lines are abandoned today, accounts from locals suggest that villagers walked these lines as late as the 1950s. Nowadays, such Siki systems are known to have existed in both Bolivia and Chile. Johan Renhard has visited several villages that, even today, have seki lines that are observed and walked upon by locals. These systems have not been completely analyzed and remain to be fully understood, but they are a glimpse into the past, a past that saw the landscape spiritually alive throughout the Andes. 
The Cusco Seki system is much different today than it was at the time of the Inca. Nobody walks the lines. Nobody but researchers such as Brian Bauer who seek to understand the system itself. And that is not easy to do. Many of the wakas or proposed sites have been swallowed by the urban growth of Cusco. I imagine that several of the wakas that were Puraka or stone warriors were incorporated in some fashion into the foundation and architecture of several colonial era buildings in Cusco. But that is all excluding what the Spanish did, worked tirelessly to seek and destroy huacas themselves. Indeed, Molina, Albornoz, and Andegardo all sought to understand the Seki system so they could identify huacas and destroy them. A systematic eradication of indigenous heritage, all in the hopes of converting the native population. However, not all were destroyed. Per Poyopacha was the waka within the third seki line in Koyasuyu. It was a spring, and it continued to be an important religious site, even in colonial times, as a painting of the Virgin appeared on a wall nearby in the 17th century. Very similar to how the Inca would incorporate the local wakas and gods into their religion, Christianity adopted certain sites as areas of worship. As you might recall, quite a few of the wakas were natural features on the landscape and were thus difficult to destroy. Such an example exists in the Angostura Ravine, the eighth waka of the first seki of Koyasuyu. It is still venerated in August, when the winds in the Cusco Valley are the strongest. The Kumpi Hill in Kundasuyu, as well as the sacred summit of Wanakari, were both part of the large Cusco CK system and are still considered sacred places to this day. The Andes were and still are a very spiritual place. Perhaps it has to do with the mountains themselves being 50 million years old. Maybe it is the name of the hills, peaks, rocks, or streams that indigenous people affectionately call on. Maybe it is because their ancestors are still interred in some of these spaces, forever tied to them. Many Awakas have disappeared over time. Some have been forgotten some destroyed. Others have been adapted into modern belief systems. Still others endure to this day. The Cusco Seki system was one of likely many religious complexes in the Andes. There is a lot we don't know, a lot we could learn, and a lot more to discover. <laughs> <laughs>